Today on the Matt Wall Show, a week before the inauguration and Democrat mayors are rushing to reopen their cities and restart their, their economies, the timing of this, we're supposed to believe, is entirely coincidental. Sure. Also, five headlines, including an interview with Jacob Blake that unwittingly destroys the narrative in his defense. And in our daily cancellation, we will discuss the major controversy, huge controversy surrounding a traumatizing article in Politico written by Ben Shapiro. That and much more today on The Matt Wall Show. Before we get into the show today, I want to tell you about one of our new sponsors, Serve HQ. You know, it, the, the question always comes up, what can we do as conservatives facing what we're facing right now, especially in the years ahead? What can we do um, to, uh, to, to, to make some headway in the culture? And one thing we can do is to support grassroots organizations that align with our values. Serve HQ is a six-year-old company that helps churches and nonprofits train and equip their volunteers to serve their communities. They offer two online tools, one for training and one for communication that thousands of churches and nonprofits have already used. Um, first, their training tool lets you build simple online courses for your volunteers and staff with video-based training, follow-up quizzes, and automated step-by-step onboarding, uh, which is also included. And second, their online communication tool helps big and small teams with texting, email, chat, all in one place. It includes mobile apps for iPhone and Android, and it's designed to replace all the different communication tools you might use for chat, newsletters, text blasts. So you're getting all this stuff in one place. It makes it so much easier, much more efficient. Uh, their website, again, is servehq.church. That's servehq.church. ServeHQ is offering a new special for the new year for any organization that signs up during the month of January. So you've got you know a few weeks left to take, to take advantage of this, but I would do it right now to make sure you don't miss out. Use code Walsh to get 10% off for life during this month only. 10% off for life during this month only. Churches and nonprofits can train volunteers, teach core principles, communicate with teams and individuals, and automate recurring or multi-step tasks. Go to servehq.church to learn more and start your 14-day trial right now. Use code Walsh to get 10% off for life. You know, when I was a young lad, one of my dad's most common refrains uh, to me and, and my siblings, whenever, whenever we tried to lie to him about something, he would always say, don't insult my intelligence. And his point was that, you know, it's bad enough for us to do whatever wrong thing we're trying to cover up. And it's even worse for us to lie about it. But then the final indignity is to tell lies that are so blatant and so obvious that we are insulting our parents' intelligence by thinking they'd be dumb enough to fall for the ruse in the first place. Now, these days I can relate to how my parents felt. I can relate as a parent myself, like when my four-year-old looked me in the eye and told me that, he didn't color in blue crayon on the wall while literally holding the blue crayon in his hand and standing right next to the scribble on the wall. But I can also relate as a citizen of this country, because in this capacity, I, we are lied to all the time, especially in recent months. And what makes the lies all the worse is that it's, it's so obvious what they're doing and thus insulting. They are insulting our intelligence. For example, as we approach Joe Biden's inauguration, less than a week away, suddenly we're seeing Democrat mayors across the country, some of the biggest, most ardent proponents of lockdowns, now insist that we have to begin to open up the economy again as quickly as possible. So they've switched course like this, as blatantly as this, with, with, with timing as convenient as this, and they expect us to not notice. They insult our intelligence. Here's the article in OutKick about Lori Lightfoot in Chicago. Here's what she's saying. 
Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago on Thursday, called for bars and restaurants to be open at limited capacity as soon as possible and said she would speak to Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker about the matter. Uh, The second round of shutdowns began in October uh, as COVID-19 spread in the city and state. Per Block Club Chicago, Mayor Lightfoot said she is very, very focused on getting bars and restaurants open and pointed out that they can be operated more safely for patrons than than the underground parties that have proliferated in the shutdown. If we have people and uh, give them an outlet for entertainment, we have much more of an opportunity, in my view, to be able to regulate and control that environment. According to Lightfoot, she said, quote, uh, let's bring it out of the shadows. Let's allow them to have some recreation in restaurants and bars where we can actually work with responsible owners and managers to regulate and protect people from COVID-19. Okay, so we are not mass murderers, apparently, or grandma killers, if we want to open up the economy. Is that what we're saying? So that, that's, that's allowed now. We're, we're allowed to make that argument without being shouted down and told that we are evil killers. Let me guess, actually. Let me guess. I bet you now... Now we're going to be mass murderers and grandma killers if we don't want to open the economy. Because that's the way it works when the pendulum swings. But again, remember, you aren't supposed to notice this. Governor Cuomo's 180 is even more egregious. Here he is in his State of the State address, singing a wildly different tune about lockdowns. Uh, Listen. We must deal with a short-term economic crisis, a record $15 billion state deficit that must be addressed in the next several weeks. Fourth, we must plan our economic resurgence. We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We will have nothing left to open. We must reopen the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely. We simply cannot stay closed. We just can't. What gets me is is not just what he's saying, but how he's saying it. He says we simply cannot stay closed with a level level of exasperation that seems to suggest that he's been saying this for months and nobody would listen. But in fact, of course, we have been saying that for months and he wouldn't listen. So Cuomo's really he's really like that kid in the group project in school who uh, who, you know, you you have all the good ideas and he keeps taking your ideas and suggesting them as if they're his own. And in fact, in group projects in school, I was actually the guy taking the ideas. So he's like that, but on a much larger scale and with a lot more at stake. He doesn't even try to reconcile that or explain his shift. He pretends it's not a shift. He pretends that the last nine months never happened and he expects us to do the same. We must do the same because as we've learned, to bring up the immediate recent past, to point out hypocrisy and double standards, is to engage in whataboutism. And we mustn't do that. No, you can never say what about. As we've learned, you, you just have to pretend that, that, that the whole universe was born this morning. And there were no events that happened before right now. That's what you have to pretend. Just let them rewrite history right in front of you. Let them do it. In fact, applaud them, applaud them as they do it. That is your role in this. That's what you're expected to do. They have this set up so nicely and so predictably. You know, Biden will take office. The economy will open up again. At the same time, it's going to get warmer naturally, right, Um, as we get into the spring. And more people will get vaccinated. And so the virus will recede. 
And the narrative will be that Biden defeated the virus and saved the economy and did it all in his first three months in office. Don't be surprised if he's awarded the Nobel Prize for his efforts. And I'm not kidding. I really think that will happen. I mean, they gave it to to Obama for doing quite literally nothing. What makes this especially infuriating is, again, we can all see them doing it because they do it out in the open. And they do it exactly as we knew they would. Meanwhile, Newsweek has just published an article uh, with the headline, COVID lockdowns have no clear benefit versus other voluntary measures, according to an international study. It reads, quote, a new study evaluating COVID-19 responses around the world found that mandatory lockdown orders early in the pandemic did not provide significantly more benefits to slowing the spread of the disease than other voluntary measures, such as social distancing or travel reduction. It continues. The study compared cases in England, France, Germany, Iran, Italy, Netherlands, uh, Spain, and the U.S., all countries that implemented mandatory lockdown orders and business closures, to South Korea and Sweden, which implemented less severe voluntary responses. It aimed to analyze the effect that less restrictive or more or more restrictive measures had on changing individuals' behaviors and curbing the transmission of the virus. Using that model, the researchers determined that there is no clear significant beneficial effect of more restrictive measures on case growth in any country. This is precisely what so many of us have been saying for months. Wouldn't you know it? We weren't actually arguing that we want more people to die of the virus. We aren't supervillains. We're not sociopaths. Quite the opposite. We argued that, in our opinion, the lockdowns were not a good way to deal with the virus. There were better ways to deal with it. And in our opinion, more harm than good is done by them in the long run. And it's not as though that argument was simply rebuffed or refuted. It's not as though the other side said, well, I disagree and here's why. I'd have no problem with that. That's that's, that's fine. Let's have a discussion. No, they said that to make such an argument is evil in itself. We are mass murderers and lunatics for making it. And now the very people who said that to us will start saying the same things that we said before. But without acknowledgement, without accountability, And of course, obviously, without apology. So be it. You know, this is the way the game is played. And we would just do well to remember that going forward. Let's get now to our five headlines. Before we get to five headlines, a word from ZipRecruiter. Listen, it's a new year. Uh, We got got past a difficult year, to, to say the least, especially for a lot of businesses out there. And now is the perfect time to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people, because that's that's going to be one of the first steps. If you want to go to that next level, um, then you've got to have the right people on board. It's all about the people. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent to over 100 top job sites with one click. So it's very easy for you. Then ZipRecruiter's matching technology scans thousands of resumes and profiles to send you the most qualified people for your job. If you're really interested in a candidate, you can uh, invite them to apply for your job with one click. So all this stuff on, on your end, this stuff is very, very easy. This is, you know, this is the kind of task that would have taken hours and hours and cost you a lot of money in the past. But now you have ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter sends them an email from you and you stand out from the competition because of that. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. You think about that, four out of five finding a candidate within the first day. You can't, you can't match that kind of efficiency or that sort of speed 
So this is what you want to do right now. You can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash W-A-L-S-H. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Well, I'm also happy to announce that starting today, January 15th, Andrew Claven is back with a new weekly program. You thought he abandoned us for good, but he didn't. He's back every Friday. You'll be treated to a 90-minute show in which Andrew will wrap up the week's events, talk to special guests, give you his unique insights into what's really going on. And uh, we'd love to hear, especially what he thinks about this week. So make sure you're subscribed to his show so you can stay up to date on all new episodes. All right, NFL playoffs this weekend, by the way. I'm getting into the divisional round. I'm pretty excited about that. Baltimore Ravens playing the Buffalo Bills on Saturday night. Uh, I think I think that'll be a great game. I like the Ravens in the game because I'm a homer, number one, but number two, because um, because of the run game. You know, the, the Buffalo Bills really don't have a run defense or a run offense. And uh, the the Ravens have both of those things. I mean, they're averaging like 250 yards a game, which is which is insane. They put up 400 yards a few weeks ago, which is unheard of. Like teams used to do that in the 1950s uh, on the ground. So I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to that. And, and let me also just say defensively here for a moment that I, I think I, I mentioned football on this show or maybe on, on Twitter like one, two or three times a year. It, it comes up, right? Of, of all the things that I'm constantly blabbering about, maybe 0.001% of that is football. But anytime I do, there are two, there are two things that I hear from people. Um, one is, why are you talking about this when there's so many other important things happening in the world? What do you think? You think football is the most important thing happening? That you're talking about this? And then the other thing that I hear is, uh, is well, how could you watch football? How could you, how could you support the NFL with, 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 with all their, their political shenanigans and everything they've done? How, how could you support them? So let, let, me, let me say a response to both of those points. Uh, number one, yeah, there, there are a lot of bad things happening in the world. I, I think it's still okay to think about things that aren't those bad things. I think it's okay to have other thoughts on occasion. It's even okay to engage in recreation, uh, to have fun. Even I can have fun sometimes. And if I can do it, then what's wrong with you? But then the second point, you know, the, the thing about, well, why would you support the NFL? Okay, I can take that criticism. I can. I mean, right, they, 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 it, it, the political stuff annoys me. But I certainly hope if you're making that criticism about the NFL and saying, oh, well, you shouldn't watch the NFL, I really, really hope that you don't watch Star Wars or any other Disney movie. You don't watch anything on Netflix or HBO. Um, you don't watch pretty much any movie or any television show that is ever produced, except for Run, Hide, Fight, which we premiered uh, last night, which we'll talk more about that a little, little bit later on. I certainly hope that's the case. So I, I think you're, you're in a position to make that criticism of people who watch the NFL if you do not watch any movies or any television at all, period. Because if you do, and you support, let's say, a company like Disney, you support a company that does far more damage in the culture and, and, uh, and spreads far more filth and misleads far more people on a much larger scale than the NFL. Okay, that's all. Um, but... If you are in that category where you say, I don't watch anything, I don't even have a TV, and uh, when I have recreational time, I just read books and I go do gardening or something, then I say to you, sir or ma'am, I, uh, I bow to you because I, I am very impressed by that. I just suspect that you know 99% of the people who have that criticism of the NFL 
are not like you. Uh, and that's my problem. Okay. Number one, from the New York Post, Joe Biden wants to, uh, to send millions of Americans their third stimulus check and give others their first. Says the president-elect's $1.9 trillion economic relief plan calls for yet another round of direct payments to help people pay bills and support their families during the coronavirus pandemic. The proposal would also expand eligibility for the $1,400 checks to some people left out of the first two rounds of relief. One key group is adults who can be claimed as dependents on other people's income tax returns, such as college students or elderly people being cared for by their adult children. Okay, so adults, like college students, so what we're being told now, if you're, a, if you're an adult, such as a college student, and you're a dependent, you're going to get a, a COVID relief check? So you've got a 19-year-old college student living at home, no bills to pay, you're, we're going to send them 1400 bucks. Why? For what reason? Um, both previous stimulus bills provided, providing direct payments only allowed taxpayers to collect additional money for dependent children younger than 17. Uh, last March's, uh, last March's CARES Act gave households $500 for each qualifying kid on top of $1,200 per adult, uh, while December's $900 billion uh, relief package offered $600 checks for children and adults alike. Okay, well, look. Um, I, as I've said all along, I, I, I'm in favor of the idea of providing relief to people who've been who've been so devastated uh, financially by the COVID lockdowns. I think I think the government has the responsibility to do that. What, what I have a problem with is just constantly handing out checks to everyone without any regard for whether they actually need it or not. So call me crazy, but I, I sort of feel like if we're going to spend billions of dollars handing out checks, maybe we should take the time, put the energy and effort into, and when I say we, I mean the government, they're the ones that are going to have to do this, uh, into, into figuring out who actually needs it. And then, you know what, you can send them not only a check, you can send them a larger check. I'd be in favor of $5,000 checks if they're actually going to the people who really need it. Say people who've who lost their job because of the lockdowns. Business was shut down because of the lockdowns. They're, they're teetering on the edge of financial ruin, or they're, or they're, they're already in financial ruin. Um, yeah, send them relief. But, you know, I happen to know, and I'm sure you know people too, or maybe you are someone like this. I know plenty of people who've been getting these checks and don't need it. They, they don't need the assistance. They've been gainfully employed the entire time. If you have been gainfully employed throughout the coronavirus pandemic and all the lockdowns, as I have been, then you and I and those of us in that category, we are blessed. We're very fortunate. We don't need the checks. We're in the same position financially we were in before. We still have a job. There's no reason to send us money. Um, so that's my problem. It, it, we're, we're, we are basically, the strategy is to throw money into the air and then hope it lands on some of the people who really need it. And if we waste billions upon billions giving it to people who don't need it, eh, no problem. Well, it is a problem, I would say. Number two, we know that if you're a conservative, uh, guys like Don Lemon on CNN hate you, right? Uh, no surprise there. And that's why I almost decided not to play this clip. In fact, I, I saw this clip circulating and people talking about it. And I didn't even watch it at first because I thought, well, yeah, uh, I, I get it by now. It's like we talked about yesterday, the, the hidden 
camera footage of somebody on, uh, works for PBS talking about how much they hate conservatives and people are some conservatives making a big deal about that. My reaction is, well, of course, I know they feel that way. I don't like it, but I already know that. There's nothing about it that I consider newsworthy. Um, but on the other hand, this from Don Lemon is so over-the-top egregious um, and said publicly on the airwaves that I think maybe it's worth taking a second to reflect on it. So here it is. Listen. If you are on that side, you need to think about the side you're on. I'm never on the side of the Klan. I am never principal people, conservative or liberal, never on the Klan side. Principal people, conservative or liberal, never on the Nazi side. Principal people who are conservative or liberal, never on the side that treats their, their fellow Americans as less than, that says that your fellow Americans should not exist, that, said your, that says your fellow Americans should be in a concentration camp, or that sides with slavery. What I like about that, I guess, is um, the incredible irony of uh, he, he says, well, you, you shouldn't treat your fellow Americans like they're less than. And he says that right after uh, claiming that Trump supporters and conservatives are on the side of the Klan and Nazis. And slave owners? What? But no, that's, see, that, that's what it means. That's what it looks like to treat people like they are less than, like they are less than you. You obviously believe that they are less than you morally, and we could presume you believe they're less than you intellectually. That's what it looks like. Yes, that, that, that's what it means to treat people as they are, as if they are inferior. When you compare people to Nazis and Klan members and slave owners, you are treating them as they, as if they are inferior. Now, unless they really are clan members, in which case, fine. But there are like, I don't know, seven clan members in America. So if you want to take up time on your airwaves condemning those seven people, then go ahead and do it. But to, to, to even say, like, the vast majority of conservatives aren't in the Klan, to even say something like that is to play the game. It doesn't even need to be said. Um, it's, it, to even say it is to play the game that, that Don Lemon wants, wants you to play. All right, number three from the Daily Wire. Uh, it says, a mother of a four-year-old child who refuses to disclose whether the child is a biological boy or girl and claims she let the child decide their own gender has stated that she's been accused of child abuse. The mother, Kyle uh, Myers, PhD, of course, a native of Utah who moved to Australia, wrote in, uh, on, on the website Mama Mia, I've received hundreds of messages and comments on Instagram and emails from people I don't know telling me my child should be taken away from me. My partner Brent and I do something called gender creative parenting. Um, for us, this means we didn't assign a binary girl or boy gender to our child. The child's name is Zoomer, by the way. Zoomer. So we've got Kyle, Brent, and Zoomer in the family together. We don't disclose Zoomer's genitals to people who don't need to know. We use the gender-neutral pronouns they, them, their for Zoomer until they can tell us what pronouns and labels fit best. And Zoomer tells about, learns about and explores gender without stereotypical expectations or restrictions. Brent and I are just two among thousands of people doing gender-creative parenting uh, all over the world. Yeah, that's... Uh, those people are correct. That is child abuse. That's, that's, that's what child abuse is. 
Um, so they they are exactly correct. And I love it when these parents, it, 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 also because they they take this attitude of, well, you know, mind your own business. What concern is it of yours? What, why are all these people uh, messaging me, messaging me with with their opinions of my parenting? Well, it's because you wrote an article about it and you published it for the whole world to see. You you announced what you said was, "Hey, world, look at how I'm parenting. Look at how I'm parenting everyone." Look at my child, Zoomer. Please, please see everyone. I want you to see it. And then some people say, oh, I see it and I think it's horrible. And your response is, how dare you? How dare you intrude in our private lives? You know, if you don't want your child to be stereotyped or to have expectations imposed on them, why are you publicizing this? Why are you putting it out there for everybody? No, the reason why it's abuse, one of the reasons, um, is that it, it, it is really, when I, when I call it abuse, I don't just mean like it's low level abuse or something like that. Um, no, no, this is, this is really serious abuse because it, it, it goes to a level, you know, that is, that is, that is, really deep in that it in that it it deprives the child of an identity that's what you're doing so this is psychological abuse um, on the deepest possible level when you're depriving your child of his or her identity now, I have to say his or her because I don't because I don't know you you know you, you're, you're you're withholding that information and it's one thing if you want to withhold that information from the public okay fine the problem is you're withholding the information from your child, too. Because the reality is your child, little Zoomer, is a boy or a girl. He is, he or she is one of those things. And your child has a right to know which one. Just like you did growing up. Your child has a right to know who he is. One way or another. And you're depriving him of that. And by the way, I say, I say him in the general because that, that actually is proper grammar to, to use the word him in a general sense. You're depriving your child of that. It, it's hard for me to think of a worse form of psychological abuse than that. It's just a basic fact. It's, it's a basic fact of, of his life and his existence, who he is. And you won't tell him. Forcing him to live as this amorphous, ambiguous being. That's a choice he didn't make. If he wants to make that choice later on and do this gender-fluid, gender-creative stunt, later on in life, he can make that choice. Like you have done. But no, you are imposing that on him. You're forcing him to do it. All right, number four, Jacob Blake, um, case that we have followed extensively on this show. Of course, he was the, the, uh, the wanted felon, violent criminal, shot by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, one of the cases that, that led to all the rioting and everything that we saw. Now, we, we haven't heard really anything from him directly until yesterday. Good Morning America had an interview with Jacob Blake. And uh, they, they, um, 
the thing is, it's not as bad as I expected it to be, but it's still utterly disgraceful. Okay, the, the interview could have been even worse than it was in how it, you know, portray in, in portraying Jacob Blake as the victim, and it still does. Um, it's not it doesn't go quite as far as I as I as it could have gone, but it's still pretty bad. And meanwhile, um, Jacob Blake, while he's obviously lying through his teeth, he does incriminate himself. And he also refutes unwittingly what his own family had said. His, his, his family from the beginning had, had claimed that he did not have a weapon, that he was unarmed. Well, he actually admits that he did have a weapon, that he was armed. He tries to, he tries to dress it up in, in such a way as to make himself innocent. Uh, and, and he does it in a really absurd way. So we'll, we'll take a, uh, we'll watch that now. Let's, let's listen. We see you, you walk away from the officers after they try to grab you. I'm rattled. You know, I realized I had dropped my knife, that little pocket knife. So I picked it up after I got off of him because they tased me and I fell on top of him. With an open knife in hand that Blake says fell out of his pocket, he walks around the front of the vehicle towards the driver's side door. Now, okay, so his claim about the knife, if you picked up on it there, uh, he says that, well, it was just in his pocket and it happened to fall out and it, and it was open when it fell. So he had a, so he had an open pocket knife in his pocket. Can I just tell you, that's not a good place to have an open pocket knife. That's, you're asking for trouble um, having an open pocket knife in your pocket. There are a lot of things, a lot of things that can happen uh, in, 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 in that situation that you don't want to have happened. Um, have happened. So he claims that he had an open pocket knife in his pocket. It fell out. He picked it up. Didn't close it. He had the, and he was holding the open pocket knife. And then he claims that it wasn't in the clip there. But he's, as he continues. Um, he says that he, he was, all he was trying to do was take the open knife to his car and just put it, store it safely in his car. And then he would give himself up and surrender. That's all he was trying. That's why he was going to the car. That's why he was going to the car with an open pocket knife while the cops were screaming at him and telling him to stop was just so he could safely stow his pocket knife. You know, Jacob Blake, uh, accused rapist. He's, he's, a, he's a good, good citizen, and he, he was just really concerned about leaving the pocket knife on the ground, and a, a child might find it. And So, you know, while police were pointing guns at him and screaming at him to stop, he, he, just, th- he just thought, well, let me just put this pocket knife away. He, he never said that, by the way. He never said, oh, can I just, uh, please, can I just put my pocket knife away? I'm, I'm worried about someone getting cut. He, he never said that. Of course, if he had said that, they would have told him, don't worry about it. We'll take care of the knife. That's evidence. We're, we're taking that with us. That's his claim. And of course, there's no pushback on that at all. Uh, Michael Strahan there, former NFL guy. That's the guy they bring in for this hard-hitting interview. He doesn't, there's no pushback on that. Um, Also, at no point is Jacob Blake asked about the alleged rape. You know, his his ex-girlfriend, mother of his children accuses him very credibly of breaking into his house, of, into her house and raping her and then stealing her credit cards and her car. He was trying to steal her car again there. That's why she called police. He's never asked about that. You know, we've also, we also have not heard from the woman at all this entire time. No, no one has inquired after her, see how she's doing or how she feels about any of this. So never asked about that. The only reason I say it wasn't quite as bad as expected is that um, they do at least mention that he had a warrant out for his arrest 
And later on in the interview, it's like a seven minute interview. Michael Strahan does ask him, you know, well, why did you keep walking away from the cops? Probably the smart thing to do would be to just stop and, and, and give yourself up at that point. So they do say that at least. And that, that's how low the standards are now, that at least that point means that it wasn't as bad as it could have been. But it was still really, really bad. Especially because of the way that they are just erasing and ignoring the real victim in this whole thing, which is the woman. She was the one who called the police. And she continues to be victimized. Um, every, every day she has to turn on TV and see this guy. See the way that he, they make a martyr of him. She continues to be victimized. And she has to live now, you know, with, with people blaming her for calling the police in the first place. Jake Blake also claimed that uh, he, he, he didn't know. Like, the reason why he was resisting arrest at first and fighting the cops is because he didn't know they were the cops. That they grabbed him and he, he just didn't know who it was. And, uh, and so he started fighting without seeing anything. I guess he had his eyes closed and he was just flailing. And then he said that the reason he kept walking away and didn't listen to the officers is because he didn't hear them because his ears were ringing. It was muffled. His ears were ringing because of all the screaming and he just couldn't hear anything. So he couldn't see anything. He couldn't hear anything. He picked up the open uh, knife just to put it in his car. Do you wonder why police officers are sometimes short on patience? Is because they have to deal with this BS every single day. Just people lying blatantly to their face, making up the most absurd excuses for illegal behavior. This is what police officers deal with every single day. All right. Um, number five, this is one of those stories that's almost like, it's almost like hearing someone describe getting a paper cut in that you just, you just feel it. You feel this story. Only this is a lot worse than a paper cut. Uh, from entrepreneur.com, it says, Stefan Thomas, a German programmer based in San Francisco, forgot a password that would allow him to access 7,000 Bitcoin, which could be worth $220 million. Uh, according to the New York Times, the password will allow Thomas to unlock a small hard drive called the Iron Key, which holds the keys to a digital wallet containing 7,000 Bitcoin. Thomas lost the document where he wrote the key to his uh, Iron Key years ago, and he only has two attempts left to gain access. So they I guess, I don't know how many attempts he's made so far, but there are only so many attempts before they lock you out permanently. And he's been trying to guess these passwords. Got $220 million, theoretically. Um, he's got a theoretical $220 million behind that Iron Key, and he can't get in. And uh, if, he, if he guesses wrong two times, then the device will encrypt your content forever. The programmer obtained this amount of cryptocurrency in 2011 when he lived in Switzerland after making an animated video explaining what is Bitcoin uh, requested by a fan of the asset. Thomas is not the only one who has lost his money this way, according to the New York Times article, citing chain analysis of the existing 18.5 million Bitcoin, around 20%, around 20% currently worth around $140 billion, seem to be lost or stranded in wallets. That's pretty bad. Uh, and it just, it makes me feel better about not getting involved with Bitcoin because, you know, I'm terrible with passwords. Basically, there are two strategies that I've found with, strat with, with passwords. One is that you have one password that's very memorable and you use it for all of your accounts. And the problem is that if any genius hacker ever thinks to guess like password one, two, three or something, they'll be able to bankrupt you and steal your identity in four and a half minutes because they can access everything. And the other strategy is to use a, and this is what I do, 
I use a difficult and unique password for everything, but then I forget it immediately. And so anytime I want to access anything that has an account, I have to always go to, to uh, forgot password, do the whole thing. It, it's so bad that I'll, I'll, I'll set up an account somewhere. I'll set my password. And then I'll go to log in to the account I just set up and I've already forgotten it. I have to go and do remember, uh, remember password. So that's, that's the problem. I also have to admit that um, for this reason and others, I, I don't really see the value uh, with, with Bitcoin. Admittedly, I know almost nothing about it. So if you're a Bitcoin expert, I'm sure you'll have a chance to post your actually comments uh, below. So, so you're welcome for that. You can, you can school me in it. But it seems to me, this is what, as someone who's totally, this is just my, my intuitive analysis, as someone who knows almost nothing about cryptocurrency. It seems to me that for a currency to really be a currency, it needs to be used like one, right? So you have to use it to buy goods and services. If you're not using it to buy goods and services, if it isn't commonly used for that, it's not really a currency. But Bitcoin's, Bitcoin is a zillion dollars, so uh, and there aren't very many of them, and they're hard to obtain, and they can be hard to access once you have them. So people don't use them as currency, and they just buy and sell Bitcoin with other fans of Bitcoin. So that seems to me to not really be a currency, but more of a collectible. My expert analysis is that Bitcoin is just a glorified form of a beanie baby or a Pokemon card. That's all it really is. It's just a high-tech, really expensive Pokemon card. There you go. Take that to the bank. That's my financial advice. Well, I'm not a business owner myself, but one thing I've, I, I hear from business owners that I talk to is uh, the, the, the thing that can, that can kill you, especially early on if you're a small business is HR issues, all the red tape, everything you have to wade through. Um, and you're not, you're not going to, just because you want to start a business, you're an entrepreneur, you're not necessarily going to be an expert in those areas. And you can't be an expert in every area, right? Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. You got to deal with all of that. Uh, and HR managers' salaries are not cheap. We're talking about an average of $70,000 a year on top of all the, the difficulties you have to deal with. That's why you need Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. It was created specifically for small businesses, small business owners like yourself. You can get a dedicated HR manager. You can craft HR policy and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. So you can spend $75,000 a year or $99 a month. I'm not great at math, but I think the math works out in your favor with Bambi. I'm pretty sure. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. From onboarding determinations, they customize your policies to fit your business, and they help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month, month-to-month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. Look, you didn't start your business because you want to spend time on HR compliance. Rarely do I hear business owners say that the reason they got into business was because of their passion for HR compliance. Every once in a while, someone says that. Those are the weirdos, but probably not the case for you, so get Bambi. Go to Bambi.com slash Walsh right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash Walsh, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Walsh. And last night uh, was a big, big night, as referenced earlier for The Daily Wire. We made our entrance into entertainment content with our first feature film, Run, Hide, Fight. Uh, if you missed it, head on over to dailywire.com where you can watch it right now. And uh, if, if you want to know if it's good or not, I, mean, I can tell you it, it, it's, it's a very good movie. And you can listen to me. And you should just listen to me in, in all things. I hope you know that by now. But uh, if you don't believe me, just go go online. Go to social media. Look at some of the comments. Um, 
the uh, the people have spoken, and the reception to this movie has been absolutely. It's, it's really it's blown me away, uh, especially because it's you know you you figure even if it's good, even if I know it's good, people, especially on the internet, will find reasons to hate it, and there's been very little of that. Um, that should really tell you something. Now, please be aware this film is not political. It is intense. It's for mature audiences only. Starring Isabel May, Thomas Jane, and uh, Radha Mitchell. Run, Hide, Fight follows Zoe Hall, who's a high school student coping with the recent loss of her mother. All she wants to do is get through the last few weeks of her senior year, leave for college with a fresh start. But instead, her high school is attacked by four uh, gun-toting students who plan their siege and uh, start to start to take over the school. And using her wits and survival skills, Zoe fights back to save her fellow students. We're excited to bring you great stories that Hollywood refuses to tell. We hope you'll join us. Be a part of the, of the adventure. Become a member today over at dailywire.com. Now, let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we are going to briefly discuss the dire controversy surrounding Ben Shapiro's article in Politico. If you don't spend a lot of time on social media, then your life is a whole lot more fulfilling and meaningful than those of us who do. But the downside is you miss important news like this. It was trending all over Twitter yesterday. People were very upset that Ben Shapiro wrote an article for Politico's newsletter called The Playbook. And Ben's piece was mostly about impeachment and trying to explain, you know, why many Republicans oppose it from his point of view. And his, argu- his argument comes down to this paragraph where he says, quote, opposition to impeachment comes from a deep and abiding conservative belief that members of the opposing political tribe want their destruction, not simply to punish Trump for his behavior. Republicans believe that Democrats and the overwhelmingly liberal media see impeachment as an attempt to cudgel them collectively by lumping them in with capital rioters thanks to their support of Trump. Okay. Now you might think, well, okay, that seems reasonable. Certainly not in any way offensive or traumatizing or radical. But many in media and many employees at Politico didn't agree. Um, they claimed that Politico had acted in a deeply irresponsible fashion by allowing Ben Shapiro to write a newsletter. They pointed out that Ben Shapiro, an Orthodox Jew, is also a white supremacist Nazi. A white supremacist Nazi Orthodox Jew. I mean, those exist, I'm told. There's at least one of them. They pointed out that he has opinions, um, many opinions, some of which they, the members of the media, don't agree with. And it's simply not acceptable for a person with those sorts of opinions to be allowed in Politico or, frankly, anywhere else on earth. Eric Wemple, media critic for The Washington Post, was tweeting updates on the controversy throughout the day. There was apparently a revolt among Politico staffers who felt that they all personally should have been consulted before their boss made the decision to let Ben Shapiro write a a guest column for them. Wemple tweeted, There are now upwards of 225 people on the Politico Zoom call convened to hash out the decision to invite Ben Shapiro to guest write an edition of Playbook. People are very mad, I am hearing. Very, very mad. This is the kind of thing you hear about a lot these days. Underlings at companies getting their feelings hurt by decisions that don't personally affect them in any way whatsoever. Then they cry about it publicly in management for some reason takes their temper tantrum seriously and gives them a forum to vent their childish rage. In fairness, you might point out that my company has given me a forum to vent my childish rage also, and it's the very show you're listening to right now, but that's beside the point. Uh, This isn't about me. This is about Ben Shapiro, and he is the one canceled today. Now, please don't think that I would cancel all the people who've broken down in tears over a completely inoffensive and utterly reasonable article in Politico written by a conservative. No, I I understand their feelings. I also wept uncontrollably when I first read it. 
I could not stand to see the sacred, hallowed ground of the political playbook so desecrated. The political playbook is, is deeply important to many people, you see, myself included. I have been a huge, lifelong fan of the political playbook ever since I first heard about it yesterday afternoon. And at any rate, Ben should know that when you're a conservative, you have no right to make your arguments or express your beliefs in any mainstream forum. You shouldn't even be seen in public without prior warning. I've always, I've always said this, that conservatives ought to wear cowbells around their necks when they leave their homes so that strangers will be warned of their imminent arrival into a room. See, it's, it's bad enough to simply be seen, you know, to, to force others to endure the spectacle of your existence. As a conservative, merely, merely by your presence in a room, you run the risk of causing fatal emotional wounds to everybody in the vicinity. But to actually speak, to express your beliefs and ideas, to make arguments, well, that's tantamount to terrorism, mass murder. This is a true, this is an absolutely true story. Okay, I promise you. I was at a Thanksgiving dinner once, a few years ago. Um, one of the people at the table was a conservative. And he was explaining, you know, why he believes in gun rights. He was making his arguments. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that four people in the dining room dropped dead on the spot. I mean, they, dis- they disagreed so strongly with the arguments that their hearts gave out and they perished. It-, it was a bloodbath. So this is what's at stake. Ben, by writing an article for Politico, has shown a reckless disregard for the feelings and therefore the lives of so many Americans. And that's why I move not only to cancel Ben Shapiro, but also to impeach him. I will be drawing up articles of impeachment this afternoon. He is charged with incitement, treason, and other acts of general and unspecified meanness. May God have mercy on his soul. And may God comfort the staff at Politico in this trying time. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, the media swivel and attack Republicans across the board, not just the Capitol rioters, all Republicans, plus Politico staff go wild after I write the morning playbook, that sacred morning playbook. Give it a listen. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Mm-hmm. 